Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Block Talk Radio.
And indeed, I will say it again as my reiteration and my reverberation. But understand clearly, for those of you who haven't met me personally, for those of you who haven't visited Congo Square, for those of you who haven't visited New Orleans, that is indeed how I live. It is indeed my truth. And so I say, Eshu Aleg Vuana Kosi Wari. Eshu is the respected elder who flogs, confronts, and uncovers fools. That one versed in mysteries uses truth to own you. He calls a scatter to be poverty. O Bakhtala shakes rascals to have sacrifice. The owner of warnings is the one who is Eshu, Aboru, Aboye, Aboshishe, Ashe. May our Ebo reach our rune. May our Ebo be accepted. May our Ebo allow what we desire to come to pass. And so we say, Ashe. Divine, all blessed, peace and love, joy and prosperity, elevation. Revelations and, of course, divine, all-blessed manifestations. You are now sitting live again with the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oloye Hudu Dibia Obeya Bokur, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African hoodoo world spiritualist perspective. Understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test for one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle, of why we're here, the meaning of life, if you will. And all is a blessing is indeed my personal constant prayer, my mantra, my affirmation, and my reverberation, my reiteration, and it is my ever-living reality. It's crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my teaching, my walk, my works, my demonstration along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I the divine prince makes sense out of all that we're challenged with. All that we're challenged with. All 
that we're challenged with within this earth plane, plastic, flexible, earth plane dimensional space. And it is indeed my personal place of power and empowerment, the place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine, all-blessed reality. And so it is. I say. I stand in gratitude. I say. <laughs> I welcome you again for another powerful edition of Revolutionary Hoodoo, New Orleans Voodoo Secrets and Recipes. This Monday, for some of you, it's a holiday Monday. For some of you, it's a Labor Day Monday. For some of us, it's just another Monday. And I acknowledge this Monday. I acknowledge the power of this day. In the Yoruba, Ose Shango, I acknowledge the power of lightning and thunder and torrential rains and wind. I acknowledge the power of weather, of weather. For indeed, I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum universally from this working temple of the house of the divine prince. High Potion, Hoodoo Central LLC in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors and those who came before me along this Hoodoo Obeya life path and journey, passing down the great Obeya stick along with the knowledge of this life-giving herbs roots, plants, rituals, spirits, minerals, indeed the culture, the legacy, the history, the lifestyle, and as my beloved Denise Augustine would say, our sacred stories. Say it together with me, please. Our sacred stories. And you can visit her at www.oursacredstories.com. Some of you have seen us come together. Some of you are not happy about us coming together. (laughs) But all is truly and indeed a blessing. (laughs) All is a blessing. And we're looking forward to the the coming demonstration. I'm grateful for past demonstrations because we have books and texts and and Korans and Bibles and Vedas and, and other sacred that speak to the power of God, of spirit, of the ancestors, of yesterday. Yesterday, of old, of before us, of history. But let's stand in the power of, of the ancestors today. Let's stand for the power of the ancestors right now. Let's give acknowledgement to the power of the ancestors right here in this divine moment in time space. And let us not be quiet. Let us not be silent. Let us continue to stand behind those who continue to protest, who continue to make a loud noise, who continue to press forward for the benefit of all, not just themselves, not just for the entertainment of the the cameras and the media and and the politicians and, and, and the players in the theater, but indeed for those of us at the grass 
root level who put our lives on, on the line every single day to stand in our truth. And not just our truth, but the truth of others. The truth of others. For indeed, I could do this quietly, as some of you do. I could do this alone, if you will, as some of you say you do. I, I could do this without sharing, without teaching, without revealing, without manifesting. And how many indeed do carry passports with stamps on it and and elakis and beads and IDs who don't share, who don't gift it back? I'm honored by the demonstration of people here in town, like Owl Akinlana, for instance, who's doing it for the community, even when you ain't looking, even when you don't know it's happening, even when you don't think it's it's moving, it's moving, it's always moving. And the demonstration for, for my visitors and my tourists and, and, and people who come, Seeking it. It's not always on stage. It's not always out in the quarter. It's not always in the middle of Jackson Square. Or indeed, we acknowledge the necessity and the power of tourism and its ability to keep our our system and our city alive and in, and in motion. But understand, when when you come looking for culture, look for the people. Look for the people. Go into the communities, go into the neighborhoods, come and see Congo Square, but also come and visit Treme and support Treme. And indeed, we have coffee houses and we have food houses and and liquor houses and and entertainment houses and, and, and all those things, which many of you have seen in the media over this last weekend, you are still not being COVID safe. This is not over with, y'all. This is not done. (laughs) Let's be sure that in the creation of sacred space, which my regular audience understands is is a necessity to the movement of anything we might say we do, we believe, we understand. Our demonstration shows up in the most sacred of spaces. But, But let's remember the body temple. Please, while we're vegan and vegetarian and flexitarian and and athletic and, and support the gyms and, and but let's also acknowledge this pandemic is still alive and well within our communities and, and it's still affecting us at a greater proportion than other communities. Let's still acknowledge the necessity for the antidote that a Omolu Oye that a Babalu Oye would would feed, would bring. And I'm grateful for your being here. I invite you to use my phones at 845-277-9143. 845-277-9143. I just ask you to be patient with me. Um, sometimes I don't always look over to the other tab because I have to switch tabs to see who's on my phone line. So I really need you to press the number one on your telephone keypad. This helps to alert me that there is a caller in queue, and I'll be more than happy to address your question, comment, or request. Greetings, Wombapani, my beloved sister. I love you. Thank you for being here and being supportive. 
Thank you, Hoodoo Occultism. I have a box for you. So we do have to talk. <laughs> I have a box for you that I have to get out uh, in the mail. Greetings, beloved Daniel Jackson. Thank you for being present and sharing your yami, sharing your goddess energy. I appreciate you. Yes, so come on in. You can call on the phone if you want. You can get in on the screen if you want. Come on in, beloved. Yes, uh, Chantel Hamilton. We're always open to questions, comments, requests. I just ask that we we all be respectful, <laughs> okay? And, and, and what we say and do and how we demonstrate, you know, in this archive. But, yes, absolutely. I, I accept your questions, comments, requests either here directly on screen or by way of the phone line. And to be quite honest, I would prefer that as opposed to me having to read through the questions that might show up uh, in the chat. Thank you, Alma. Ifanya Ekua Bedu. I hope I didn't mess up your name. I tried to pause there and get it together. I hope I got that right. I appreciate you. Oh, yes, Davida. Yes, beloved. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I appreciate you. Please stay on my radar because I also have a box for you. So please send me an email. Stay on my radar, beloved. Because um, sometimes I can't always transfer what goes on in this show back to where it needs to be, which is which is an email where, where I handle most of my business. So shoot me, I'm a beloved goddess. Shoot me an email if you can, and I I will respond to you. Um, Shamafi is asking me to speak to the knowledge of slave beads, aka trade beads. Uh, but then you have Eleki and the revelation of this. Um, okay, I'm going to need you to clarify you, the last part of your your comment, Shamafia. But we do know, you know, even if we think back to the 1980s, Tina Marie, remember Tina Marie? Um, she told a lot of our history in some of her songs and some of her music particularly if you were a fan of hers and you got the album or you got the CD, it was always a whole bunch of stuff that was tucked in with, with Tina Marie. Um, and I can't remember which album in particular where she talked about the Portuguese showing up in West Africa, showing up in their big ship to the coast and seeing black women covered in gold dust naked from the waist up and covered in, in gold dust. And, and of course, we understand that the trade beef came in second. Their desire for their greed for gold came first. And then the gold became us, of course, in, in terms of the exploitation of, uh, of the indigenous people into slavery and into the Middle Passage. But one of those things that they would offer and that original coming together, because if we believe the historian who who's reciting this tale um, on the Teen Marie album, and I can't remember his name right now. If, if you remind me, Shamafia, I'm a I'm a dig that up. Uh, and he talks about sort of this symbiotic relationship where they're looking at a people that perhaps they had never seen before, meaning the white man, and, and associating that with the dead 
or, or the realm of heaven or, or, or even the realm of spirit. And so this gifting of trade beads, you know, for real resources like gold, silver, you know, copper, which for us did not possess material carnal value in that context. I think about my own journey into spirituality and religion. Uh, thank you again, Ama. And I began, like many of you, in ancient Egypt. I began trying to figure out why so many gemstones? Why? And why so many minerals that are, you know, laden with quartz properties and piezoid electrical properties and all these other, you know, frequencies? Why? Even as a kid, even in elementary school, even in junior high school, that didn't make sense to me. And so in trying to make sense of that is how I came into spirituality and religion and trying to make sense of why people did not value these resources um, materially in the way that we had been taught to do so in the West. They had to have another value, a spiritual value or a magical value, some other value that was not being either detected by these, these archaeologists who often didn't look like us or didn't look like the Egyptians or didn't look like the, the Nubians, uh, but also through these authors, book writers, archaeologists, historians who are invested in Christianity, who are invested in Islam. So how that story is told, Shamafia, has shifted over the years. And our now usage of certain items such as Elakis, um, has now been so ingrained, particularly in the Western mindset, in how we acknowledge spirit. I think it's really important that we have more discussion on that, more revelation on that. And if these you have a revelation, we would uh, we would like to hear it. Um, greetings, um, Neophyte Bokur. Welcome, beloved. Thank you, Courageous Umi. Okay. Uh, I'm on. <laughs> Didn't realize I was on mute. <laughs> you, you was on mute. Thank you, Kayla, <laughs> beloved. Greetings. Uh, yeah, I, I hope you had a good birthday um, that just passed. Um, hope that day was awesome. I worked. So as far as I'm concerned, it was awesome. I worked. I worked the day before, and, and, and I worked the day after, and I'm working today. I work. When, when you do something that you love, I hardly call it work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I, made, I actually filmed a uh, commercial the day before. Uh, it wouldn't really be fair for me to say on air what the commercial is. We, we sign contracts and all that kind of stuff, so I can't really say what the commercial is. But it's local culture, um, and mm-hmm. it was convenient because it was going on right in front of my house. That's gotta be real convenient. Yeah, so so you know, once I I wasn't originally booked on this gig, but once I stepped out and they realized who I was and and that I was in the middle of the shot, um, and they wanted to use my house already in this shot. So it all just sort of came together um in that way. So that was September fourth. Uh September fifth I set out not just not to do anything. Just if I could have, you know, an hour of just not doing anything, but that didn't happen. So I ended up working um, 
all day yesterday, all day the fifth, all day yesterday, and um, and I have some appointments that I'm already beginning to to move forward in today. So there's no break, there's no vacation, <laughs> there's no real downtime, you know, for me, not in that in that regard. Right, right. I wanted to touch on a little bit of the um, the the history uh, of the beads. Um, this, I guess you would call them trade beads, but yeah, uh, she made she made a good point calling them uh, uh, slave beads. Mm-hmm. But I I I find it uh, funny because at least a dozen um, Cherokee Nation and um, Hopi Nation. Uh, Zuni Nation tribes that I come in contact with where I get my beads. Mm-hmm. And they are in direct contact with um, a lot of tribes um, in Africa to help oh, yeah. support their economy. And, and, right, I think, um, and I think it's also important to note, um, which I'm sure Shamafia knows, um, mm-hmm. that indeed there are ethnic groups that have always you know, made beads, continue to make beads, um, and I think in terms of the shopper, in a more modern context, that's what I tend to look for. I, I'm not really interested in what's made or produced in, in Italy or, or in India. Um, sometimes, like for fabric, for instance, this fabric was probably produced in India. Um, and, and so there's still a lot of fabric that's also being copied, duplicated, mm-hmm. and then sold back at, at, at a cheaper price right back to the people who created, you know, these textiles, who created, you know, these, these items in, in its most original form. So that's why I was just a little, you know, I asked her to clarify her question for me a little bit, particularly when she yeah. went, went from slave trade beads into Ileki, because, because I see them as two completely different veins from an archaeological historic perspective. Now, right. funny, there's, uh, there's collectors that uh, yeah. they go through the great length of collecting old beads. Um, they're, they're worth more uh, than most archaeology when you're looking at uh, these different bead collectors, mm-hmm. right? So you're not, it's not just a matter of, of how they're produced, but more along the lines of when they were produced, who produced them. Uh, the, the Maasai have uh, a lot of beads that they are in trade with with the Cherokee Nation uh, in Oklahoma uh, right now, let alone their past um, uh, trade agreements that they've had that we don't know about in history. Yes, indeed. Uh, mm-hmm. Give me a moment. Erico, yes, sir. Erico 318. Who's calling and where are you calling from? Erico 318. This from Texas. Oh, okay. Greetings, beloved. Thank you for calling in. We certainly appreciate you. Um, and, and of course, if you have questions, comments, requests, we would greatly appreciate your input. I do want to stop, if y'all will allow me, just for a moment and acknowledge um, Sterling Miller, um, good minister friend. Sterling Miller, I also want to, in responding to your comment about shedding light on, you know, a potential crisis with food and water in the upcoming months, I think that's a great question because I can address it. 
I'm going to allow Neophyte Bocor to address it, because if you aren't already aware, he's in the pipeline in terms of how that stuff is getting from the warehouses to the communities. So I'm sure he's going to have some, some comment about that. But I also want to take this moment to acknowledge Octavia Butler. May she rest in a room. And I've been begging y'all really for years, not just the last year, for years to read Octavia Butler, Parable of the Sower. I had some good friends, family. I'm not going to call them out by name. Started the book. Didn't quite finish the book. You know, didn't quite get into it right away. And now after 50 years and her passing, may she, may she rest in her room, may she rest up in the bosom of the ancestors. Now she's acknowledged as New York Times bestseller, uh, Octavia Butler, and particularly Parable of the Sower. Now, I still won't give away the book in its entirety, but I will say, Sterling, that question is embedded in that book. It's embedded in that book. And she did, of course, take artistic creative license to sort of paint a picture of America, you know, in a state where food and water would be so much of a crisis, um, hence the title of the book. And and that's all I'm going to say about that. Hence the title of the book, Parable of the Sower. So it is about becoming self-reliant. It is about sometimes storing and, and, and being prepared to share what you might store. It, it's about looking out first for self and self-preservation and, and then for your household maybe or, or your village maybe or your community maybe. And the idea of a food and or water shortage coming up is, is very real. It's very real. I don't want to get political, but I think it's almost impossible not to. (laughs) Um, But I'm in the agreement with the audience that would say your president would probably do almost anything, even create a crisis, even create a war, if he thought it would ensure him a future in the White House. I believe that. Call, Call it a conspiracy theory, if you will. I believe that. So it makes this reality that Octavia Butler lays out very well in, in Power of in, in Parable of the Sower, it makes that a much more real reality. And I started preparing back in February. Many of you did as well. Many of you are still prepared, you know, at, at many levels. Um, and we have to start paying attention to people like Sam Sheridan. Uh, I did some work with Sam Sheridan that will be coming up uh, soon on, on the airwaves. I believe that's on Nat Geo. Nat Geo. Um, and he has written uh, some really popular Sam Sheridan, S-H-E-R-I-D-A-N, Sam Sheridan. And he's written some powerful books about survival and surviving, uh, and particularly in a, in a calamitous-like scenario. Uh, So the idea of us having uh, food and water shortages, particularly for those of you who are sort of hooked on bottled water, I'm not really hooked on bottled water. Um, I will drink bottled water, you know, if I'm out in public or if I'm on a movie set and we're filming 
You know, of course, you you ain't trying to handle cups and glasses and even paper uh, weights at that point. But that plastic is dangerous. I don't trust plastic. Um, I'm, I'm in agreement with the vegans and the vegetarian and some of the other people who suggest that there's really dangerous stuff going on in plastic. Uh, but I will, you know, drink bottled water out in public. But in terms of at home, you know, I have glass. 55-gallon uh, bottles, you know, from like the 40s and the 50s, the glass ones, which you can purchase if you know where to purchase them. Um, I filter and, and store my own water. Uh, we have a program in our community called WaterWise, which may be available in other parts of the country, Sterling, where you can take your rainwater and all the runoff that is uh, sometimes coming off even just your housing and have that stored, and then filter it, purify it where it's usable for more than just, you know, watering your garden, you know, or, or watering your plants. Um, I also believe that we need to return to a, a way of our grandparents and our great-grandparents and our great-great-grandparents. Uh, for, for some of my younger listeners, when it comes to um, gardening, planting, knowing how to locate in, in the wild, knowing how to maintain uh, certain plants in, in the wild. Some plants do much better in the wild um, than, than trying to, you know, harvest them from your garden. So I have a garden, but I also have a more organic natural garden where I know where I can go and access certain fruits, vegetables. And let me tell you, when people kill their banana trees, my heart bleeds. When people kill their pear trees, their apple trees, they they date trees with this more modern Western idea of what a yard is supposed to look like, it, it kills me. It kills me. And that's why our bees are disappearing. Um, it's because we're getting rid of all their food sources, all the pollinating flowers and, and, and herbs that we now call weeds and are killing you know, with this same stuff that they're now suggesting on, on the TV commercial every day, it's giving us all cancer. You know, you're also killing off the food. And, and some would, would suggest there's a mindset behind that. Some would suggest there's a mindset, again, behind the sort of urgency that we might be moving towards right now as it relates to food and water security. Um, no, Shamafia, the the... Slave beef, I believe, was a response to what they saw. So, of course, you got Ghanaian women, you know, in, in their mind, half naked. In our mind, they were fully dressed. But, but in their mind, they were half naked from the waist up, covered in, in, in gold dust, which spoke not only of wealth and prosperity, but, but they would have also had on their best, you know, coral, their best cornelian. You know their best gold and 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 brass finery, so I believe that it was a direct response to what they saw, and so they believed it was a value to us, and of course it was a value to us, and they introduced you know of course pretty colors and and techniques you know that maybe we hadn't seen before or weren't manufacturing, you know on large scale, um, um, wholesale like uh, conditions. I'm sure they stole and exported from places like India and China and then brought that back to us 
And if it, you know, it, it almost makes us sound juvenile. And I don't agree with that. But it, all, it almost makes us sound juvenile, Shamafia, if we view it from the oppressor's position. That's somehow flash and shiny and, you know, that was enough to give up our land, to give up our people, to give up our resources, to allow them access, you know, into our world. I also believe, though I don't necessarily have documented proof of it yet, that there was some mixing, call it a lie, of religion that was being presented to our people while they were being introduced to this otherwise new ethnic group, new race of people that, you know, we hadn't made contact with, you know, with weaponry and ships and things that were, you know, not common, you know, in our neighborhood. And that's not a sort of old world kind of thinking. You know, I have family right now that exists in parts of Mississippi that don't have cell towers. You can't get a cell phone. Ask my truck driver, Neophyte Vocor. In certain parts of this country, you can't get cell phone reception. You can't get, you know, connected to technology. So the introduction of things that I might otherwise be new or more up to date or, or a little bit more advanced and then mix that with some lie about religion and about being godlike, you know, um, that I think that's when when it all sort of got corrupted. Uh, so they saw us and tried to mimic it, tried to copy it, tried to pr- uh, prove that they could do better, I'm sure. Oh, well, we can make those. We, we can make a thousand or more of those. We can make a million more. You know, you can just imagine what the conversation must have been like. Uh, but then how do you sell off your people? You know, so we know that the threat of of God and the threat of violence also had to be meshed in there with with these trade beads. I'm just not willing to accept that we just saw some flashy beads and said, "Okay, come on in." There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of politic involved in being able to trade with some other between tribes. I don't like to use the word tribes technically, but especially when it comes to politics, but there's a lot of politics involved in being allowed to trade, let alone having anything of value to trade in the first place mm-hmm. that gets overlooked in the, the economics and the lifestyle of the different uh, social groups in Africa and the surrounding nations um, on the perimeter. Of of Africa itself, I gotta remember we had this thing called the Silk Road. Right, that involved three major nations and all of the sub nations in between and on the way to that um, is dripping with information and history that gets kind of pushed to the side because nobody wants to talk about the 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 Indian trade route and how it connected the sea with the horn of Africa, being able to trade coffee from Ethiopia to India. Right. Right. Because, they, along because, with, because um, they do teach us. Right. I'm sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Because they do teach us, you know, in, in, in the American schools, you know, that, that the, the horn of Africa, if you will, in South Africa, 
was cut off from them for some time. And that was part of the sort of reasoning behind them needing Shaka Zulu in his land in South Africa. Uh, prior to that, they would have had to take a much more dangerous route, a much more politically uh, charged route through the Middle East in order to gain access to India and East Africa and some of that region. So just like they didn't know, you know, Carissa Columbus and them thought they was about to sail off to the edge of the world, they also didn't know how to get beyond South Africa or that there was a getting beyond South Africa. So, so, so I agree with you um, in, that, in, that, in, in your mm-hmm. point. I absolutely do. I also want to remind who yeah, the call is to, to come on in, brother. Your mic is open. Yeah, hey, uh, how you doing? Oh, it's a blessing. Uh, I want to ask a couple things today. Uh, I want to ask first, how did uh, the women in the, you know, especially the women, but also the men play on plantation deal with abortion and killing a child for they won't be uh, you know, experience such a uh, cool reality on plantation. Okay, now I'm willing to go, I'm willing to go there. I, I will say I'm gonna need you to speak louder. When when you do speak again, I'm gonna need you to speak much louder. Uh, I had to lean in. I, I watched Neil fight Bokura lean in, so I'm sure the audience didn't quite get that. So I'm gonna repeat it. I, as I, I can re- as I can repeat it. You can hear me. Yeah, we can hear you. Um, I don't think you need to. I'm I'm willing to just go right on into it. I I will say, however, um, when I finish speaking, I am curious as to why that that particular question is important to you, and particularly now. But but, but let me respond to it first. Just like you saw in Amistad, just like was suggested in movies like Roots, People weren't willing to to go into slavery willingly, and they most certainly weren't willing often to allow the oppressor to gain a greater degree of wealth from their child and then induce their child also into slavery. So there's a great deal more um, killing, a great deal more sacrifice, a great deal more murder, infanticide than I believe we discuss and we choose to discuss we see it dramatized in a movie it's real easy to dramatize you know the mother and the child you know going backwards over a ship choosing to sort of bow out if you will from the brutality you know of enslavement but we also know um, something that we filmed here in, in New Orleans that I'm very proud of for television uh, the Underground, I think that was 2018, Underground. Uh, it's, it's the story leading up to Harriet Tubman showing up in history, which is pretty much what, what Underground was about. Uh, and so it was suggested even in Underground that women weren't necessarily willing to have a baby, and certainly not for Massa, and certainly not to have that baby then go into enslavement. So there was a lot of abortion. There was a lot of using of, of herbs and roots 
and concoction. Because remember, this predates the coat hanger. They didn't have the wire coat hanger, which became sort of emblematic, symbolic of, you know, forced abortion, illegal abortion in in the 40s, the 50s, leading up to the women's movement and and the legalizing of of abortion. But when when we look at it from an enslavement perspective, yeah, there were many who would not have wanted to have that baby, who, who, who would have saw it as a grave sin, a grave evil to not take action if they otherwise could. Now, of course, others thought, you know, the baby would survive and maybe the baby would find freedom and then find freedom for us. And, and we know there are demonstrations of that. We, we know that happened. Um, but there were many who did not want that. And unfortunately, some of those potions are still around. Some of those herbs and mixes are still available. Um, I get asked about them at least two or three times a year. Um, They're still around, all right. Yeah, yeah. And and I take great offense to it. Um, And and, and it's not because I'm, you know, got, got sort of a modernized mind. But I don't believe that, you know, in the killing of a baby, particularly if you didn't wrap it up when you could have, you know, you didn't put a condom on when you should have, you know, because I have men and women re- requesting this, um, and, and it's shocking every time I hear it. I don't believe in harming children at any level, at any level. I was a harmed child. My sister was a harmed child. I had other siblings in my family that were harmed. I don't believe in harming children at all, at all. So I'm not the person to, to ask those kind of questions to. I'm not talking to you, Hoodoo Cortez. I'm talking about the people who be, like, asking me for that and, and for some of the most selfish, debased reasons, you know, not because the baby might be sick, you know, or some, you know, it, always for selfish reasons. But when you put it in that context of slavery, that's a whole nother ball game. Yeah, yeah I'd like to uh, I'd like to chime in like two things off if you don't mind. Uh, we we don't have a very good picture in our imaginations as to how evil slavery really was for our ancestors. Yeah, we we can't paint a picture that even remotely comes close to the choice to take your own life or live with someone who might as well have taken your life, right? You, there's, you, you can't paint a, a, good, a vast enough picture for that to imagine the, the plight of knowing that if Master didn't like what he saw, he could take a couple of horses and tie you to it and split you open, right? Just because he felt like it. You can't put that into a picture and no history book is ever going to even come close to it. Uh, if I can, right. let me interject real quick. Yes, sir. For me, and, and it's just for me, you're, uh-huh. you're describing white supremacy. Oh, yeah. You're describing racism. And, yeah. and, and so for me, that's still alive. That, yeah. that level of wickedness, evil, depravity, it's still alive. And well, no, it's, it, it just has it's to be still alive. Um, I, I hate to 
cut off, but I really got to get this out. They brought up the um, the Amistad. The Amistad is a ship, you know, maybe that's a historical ship and, and whatnot. Do you realize that the Amistad is still a truck company hauling your freight right now? The Mayflower is still a, a, a viable truck company that hauls your food? Mm-hmm. So we want to talk about Black people have taken their lives in the past? No, these people are still here. And the, 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 the racism is still part of our economics. Yeah. Our economics, not our history, our everyday life. I pass the Amistad on this road uh, every, at least twice a week. The Amistad passes my truck because my truck is governed at a certain speed and his isn't. I don't and, know and, think and, people realize... Um, you know, to agree with you, I also don't think people realize that many of these industries transformed themselves. So, so yes. those, those cotton industries became tobacco industries, became other big companies. And particularly when things like tobacco started falling out of favor, you know, well, what do you think these tobacco companies have done? They have reinvested. They, they have re made themselves. They've, they've recreated themselves like Madonna. You know how Madonna used to be able to recreate herself every 10 years? And she's come out a brand, a brand new <laughs> yeah. woman. So the, the, the money trail, they say follow the money. Follow the hatred. Follow the money. Follow the racism. And so many of these same people, these same industries, these same families who benefited from the wealth are still benefiting from the wealth today. And that's why for our white listeners who still don't quite get it, that's why it's slavery matters. That's why saying, you know, I didn't enslave you, you're missing the point. You're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point entirely. I mean, that was just one example of something that I noticed every day, right? But you, you, these these companies from the past still have a foothold in our everyday decision-making mm-hmm. policies. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. just, uh, just the fact that you can't buy a, a, a seed without first having to go through your government is, is proof of that, that systematic white supremacy. They don't like to call it that because it's the, the word white supremacy or the phrase white supremacy is too divisive. Well, so is the word Negro, but we still use that. Negro, nigga, uh, black. It, it's all divisive. <laughs> it's all divisive for me. African American. <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously, I don't know about you, but every time I have to deal with any kind of form, application, and the census, and that question starts coming up. I start hedging. No, no, seriously, I start hedging. And and what part of my ancestry is going to be most relevant to what I'm finding right now? If you know, to what I'm putting down right now. I, you know, they say the census is supposed to make ensure that resources and funding, you know, gets to all the right neighborhoods and in all the right proportions. Yet, our communities still often lack the very basic needs, the very basic, you know, road repair, the very basic, you know, the school don't have books, you know, the very basic stuff. 
And so I, I think, and we've talked about this before, you know, in previous shows, in other ways, we've got to reform how we view repatriation, how we, how we view going back to, because we have to go back in order to move forward. But it's something that first has to happen in here, in here, where you buy, where you spend, how you shop, how much time are you willing to research the source of, um, who do a cultism? I'm I'm waiting on you, bro. I know there was more to that statement. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I was saying that. Um, I was saying that because, um, I have a, a experience with uh, abortion. I never had abortion, or never encouraged anyone to get one. But uh, my mom, my my aunt, which is like my mom, she had one, and um. She couldn't take it, and uh, she got on drugs after that. That that really, it really hurt me. You know what I mean? It it hurt me, and she's still going through it today. Um. um so I was at, the the other part I was going to ask was, do the spirit of the baby attach itself to the family, male or? female and causes havoc for them? Yeah. Listen, you get into some really deep stuff, but yeah. And I I don't talk about this a lot, not because I don't want to, because I actually talk about it a lot in consultation. But in terms of on air, this is a divisive topic for some people. This is a trigger topic for some people. Uh, I have some friends, local friends, who ain't even in Facebook anymore. Haven't been in Facebook for six, seven, eight years over this particular topic. Abortion, her own experience with it, and how other people respond to it. And I watched it. I hope I didn't describe her in any way. I watched it turn into a gin. I watched it become a problem for her and people around her without it even being discussed anymore, without it even being brought up. Also, in my own training, study with elders, um, they have very specific words in Yoruba, very specific words in Ewe, very specific words in Fon about infant death and various types of infant death and the type of spiritual attachment that can then form or develop. Um, For me, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a feminist. I believe in in a woman's right to choose. I believe in a woman's right to to control her body. And so, again, it's another reason why I'm always uncomfortable discussing this, because I'm gay, never been with a woman, never had an interest in a woman, um, so the ideas of pregnancy and, and in abortions and, you know, I, I'm speaking to something that's not my direct experience. But in terms of understanding the culture, yeah, the, 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 we're talking about a soul. We're talking about a life. I, I'm not debating right now, you know, at what point an infant becomes human, becomes, that's not what, that, that's not what we're doing. Okay. 
I'm just speaking of his question. Yeah, there, there's a spirit attachment. Anytime anyone dies of any age and there's unresolved energy, there's an attachment. And, and that's not just hoodoo. That's science. I say it almost every show. That, that's science. Science has now proven that ancestral memory survives in the blood. Ancestral memory survives in the blood. So there's, there's a level of consciousness there. And again, I'm not here to debate at what point consciousness comes into the equation. I would believe that to speak Yoruba or Ri and Egun would have to be present at the conception. When the egg and, and the sperm come together, they would, they, would, they would have to be present. The blood is already present. And so at what point consciousness comes in or Ri comes in, I'm not scientifically, medically qualified to answer that. I'm not sure when quote-unquote, a baby starts dreaming, starts having consciousness. I had been taught through the traditions, both in Africa but also indigenous parts of, uh, of the world, that consciousness is agreed upon before we're even born. We, we agreed to be born. We agreed to come to earth. We agreed to, to take that journey from, from the spirit realm back into physical, flesh-like manifestation. So for me, Consciousness exists even before the conception, even before you get pregnant. <laughs> that, that soul, that spirit is somewhere. Now, now, it's not defined, of course. It's not attached to any, any particular person, place, or thing. So the energy often has to do with interruption of something that might otherwise be divine, might otherwise be pre-written. Um, and it's not for me to say but, but that can create an energy connection there, an energy attachment that creates problems not just for the mother but for the father. Absolutely. Uh, when we think about how Ibeji, for instance, are used in Yoruba culture, if a woman is pregnant with twins, twins, the number two is seen as a little divisive in Yoruba culture, uh, the number two. Oyeku is seen as a little divisive and Iku, death, is always attached somewhere to Oyeku. Oya is attached to Oyeku. So if a woman is pregnant with twins and then one dies, she would then carry an Ibeji tied to her back, strapped to her, and would have to treat that Ibeji with the same care that she treats the living child. And it has to be even. It has to be balanced in order to prevent sort of the repercussions that hoodoo occultism is suggesting for, for, for both sides of the family. Um, we see it in Togo. We see it in Benin. We see it among the farm. We see it among the Ewe. We, we see it among the Igbo. The usage of these dolls, these effigies, really, to respond specifically to death that shows up in, in babies and children, uh, which, which is a very different level of death in, in their mindset for people who've lived a full life, who might be 70, 80, 90, you know, who, who then go into, you know, the next round, the spirit round. 
And so you don't carry a necessary uh, effigy of, of the dead. So it's very specific to babies. It's very specific to sort of the, the fulfillment of destiny and or the uh, interruption of that and that needing to be somehow balanced, somehow placated. And yes, hoodoo occultism, it can affect uh, the men as well as the women. Okay. Um, now, just, just to, uh, and I'm going to switch it up, um, because I looked at it also, I looked at an interview with Kanye West, and uh, abortion is the number one killer of all things combined right now. Uh I don't know where this. I don't know where this comes from. Uh, I I really don't. It, it's like what type of. You know how we talk about the string theory and and, and you know the quantum world and stuff like that. Uh, is this stuff still tied to slavery? The reason why we having so many abortions in in the depression. In the selfishness that we have as a people, is this stuff still tied to those times of those horrific times of our life and slavery to this day? Um, let me let me respond to um, Marge Richard Leanne first. Um, that's a good question, Marge. I'm not sure. I'm I'm honestly not sure about that. Um, how long? For how many months, for how many years, um, I do know that there are ritual and ceremony that are an acknowledgement of, of twins that we do, not just in Ifa, but, but in voodoo, in Louisiana voodoo and in Haitian voodoo um, that are consistent. And so we might do it at a particular crossroads, at a particular holiday, at a particular, you know, event. So So that energy clearly is something that Stays around, but how long they actually carry the the uh, the Ibeji, I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask somebody in both Ghana and Nigeria before the end of the day, um, and see if I can get a a clear response to that. Now, um, who do occultism? Um, you're asking again a very deep and loaded question because I think that everything that is happening right now has everything to do with slavery, has everything to do with 1700, has everything, excuse me, to do with 1690, has everything to do with what's not fixed, what's not resolved, what's not repaired. And there's a spirit, particularly here in, in the West, in, in America, that somehow thinks that if we don't talk about it, don't pay attention to it, don't respond to it, Somehow it is uh, not real. Somehow it is not. Um, it's not evident, you know. So I think it's um, important that each person does the work where they can, and then each family does the work where they can. And we can easily say it's about healing. It's about regaining balance. It's, it's about regaining a sense of self. But I think that we all individually have an opportunity to stop 
something that might otherwise be a curse, that might otherwise be darkness, that might otherwise later manifest again in society. So this issue of racism is everybody's issue. And we have sort of been fighting it because we have often been on, you know, we are often on the, uh, you know, the victim end of receiving. But um, I tried to find another way to say that, and I couldn't. Um, But at the same time, if white people don't take responsibility for, if the racists don't take responsibility for, if they don't sort of police their own community, the way we've always had to sort of police our own community, that we're never going to really see evolution, change, lasting change as it relates to, to this issue. And so I, I think it's important that, if, that you know, if we don't address, then it does continue to show up as mental health. It does continue to show up as, you know, drug addiction and alcohol addiction and, and abuse. Um, and, and sometimes with no mental connection to the root at all. You you just know you grew up under certain conditions. You were treated a certain way, you know, by your family, by, by your your caregivers, et cetera. And, of course, that's not often discussed in the family, talked about in the family. You you just absorb it in your body. You, you just absorb it in your, your experience. I'll use myself as an example. So, so I was I was the victim of the violence. I was a victim of the violence. If, if my dad wanted to be violent, it, it was coming at me. Now I can either just focus in on the violence, you know, and not focus in on what led up to him becoming that person. There's two ways to look at that, and some of us are not in a position to have any level of empathy, sympathy, thought as it relates to the oppressor, the victimizer, the abuser. And so that gets tucked away. We, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to address that. You know, let's lock that up. Let's put that away where we don't have to think about it anymore. And so it then shows up again. It then reemerges again. It then rears its head again. You know, first in the spirit realm, for indeed the spirit realm, who do occultism, for indeed the spirit realm is more real, more evident, more tangible than anything we can even envision in the physical world. Uh, the physical world is a constant shuffling, constant changing, constant manipulation. You know, th- this house either ages or, or burns to the ground, and then we rebuild something new. Then the tree grows up out of it. Then, then, then flowers and herbs grow up out of it. And it's a constant recycling of atoms, molecules, cell structures, DNA programming, replicating itself. And so that energy becomes crystallized. Uh, again, I use myself as an example. I, something that me and my siblings, not just me and my mother, and Wapani, but but my father's other children, we have many similarities. Even the children who did not grow up with him, you know, the eyebrows, the attitude, that that expression, you know, it, it it. I can see it in all my siblings, male or female. It, it's still there. Uh, I would even say anger, aggression. 
if we, and if we don't address it, if you don't distinguish what's you versus what's nurturing versus what's in your environment, living in the inner city, for example, living in the, the, the negative zone, living in the, the drug ward, living in the crime areas affects everybody in the area, whether you're involved or not, whether you're one of the good people or not. It affects everyone in the area. And so you're now fine-tuned to the gunshot. You're now fine-tuned to the voices escalating, which is a sign that it might be a confrontation. You know, and, and you, come on, kids, get in the house. You know, it becomes instinctual. And then we lose connection to why. Then we lose connection to why. And then that, over time, becomes the generational curse within a family, within a society, within our community. We could also look at the conscious targeting of, you know, the liquor store, the church, you know, the the five and dime. I know that's old-fashioned for me to say. You know, the 99-cent store, they target your community. They target my community. Not the Whole Foods. You know, nothing good organic stuff. They they don't target our community. They go target the what Malcolm X called the Lily White suburbs. They they don't target the inner city. They don't target where we are. So these things then persist, then live on to see another day. Ebeji is spelled with an I. I B E J I. Ebeji is spelled with an I. I would also like to tell you be careful with trying to do Google search on Yoruba culture. <laughs> be careful with trying to do Google search on any traditional African culture. Uh, again, racism, white supremacy, colonization. Uh, overt religious oppression has greatly affected our availability of information, our availability of knowledge. Uh, I don't know if you're new, Marge, because I'm not familiar with seeing your name, but sometimes we play a game here in this room, you know, and, and I'll throw out certain words that really should be common use words, particularly among people who are in the Orisha romance. And you can't Google them. You can't get real detail to them. They are capsules. Am I right, Hoodoo Cultism? <laughs> they are capsules yeah. unto themselves of culture, tradition, language, usage. Ashe can mean giving thanks and praise. Ashe can also mean thank you. Eshe, thank you. Ashe, thank you. Depending on whether you're talking to an older person or a younger person, in the context in which is used. Also, um, many of the words that we use, um, you can't run them through the dictionary either, or the Yoruba English translator, because many of the words in the language that is used in Orisha, that is used in Lukumi, Santeria, Nago tradition, are not common language. Yoruba. So, so you won't find it. Um, where I think there's a unique crossroads is the calendar. Now, you can Wikipedia the Yoruba calendar, 
But what it won't give you is the details behind the name, the, the details behind why Obatala, why Ose Ogun, and, and what is encapsulated there. I like to compare it to, um, I hear you, Joy, Joy. Give me a moment, beloved. Um, I like to compare it to Egyptology and how they use symbolism, pictures, to express complex ideas, complex thoughts, complex words, so that one symbol could mean many things, depending on how it was being used, how it was being presented. Um, so you'll find Ibeji, you'll find Meiji, which means twin, but, but of a very different nature. So, um, yeah, it's spelled with an I, I-B-E-J-I. Joy, joy, is that what I mean when I say working with your ancestors can help you heal family issues? Absolutely. Absolutely. From not only my own personal experience, not just philosophy and belief system, but my own personal experience, yes. But also seeing it happen and manifest for others. I've told my story here before. There was a time because of religion and evangelical Christianity, me and my parents didn't communicate at all. My dad didn't allow it. And so there was a period where I moved away and, and we didn't communicate for 10 years. And during that time, I couldn't call. I couldn't communicate with them directly. I used the Ibeji. I use the ancestral table. I use Ile Orun, you know, and Bobida, you know, in order to do that work. Um, and they don't have to know. They don't have to be aware. They don't have to be a party to it. You know, you just have to be willing to cleanse and heal your connection to it, Joy Joy. And particularly when there are children involved to ensure that it doesn't then follow you. It doesn't then pass on to your children. Because see, we think, okay, I won't talk about how bad my childhood was. And your children grow up, but they absorb that story energetically through you. And then when your other family members come around and they whisper about it or hint at it, you know, children are really perceptive. And they pick up when the adults are having a conversation in the other room. You all know it, and they get real quiet, Okay. Because they know exactly when to key in on what mom and dad are saying. So, yes, absolutely. Working with your ancestors can heal family issues, can heal family divides, even if you never speak to them again. Even if there's never a real relationship there, but it can end it. You can be a dead end in terms of that energy then leaving you and going on to the next generation. But I've also seen real world, physical, on the ground, right in this moment in time, space results. My family is one of them. Me and my mom now have the best relationship ever, ever. <laughs> Me and my mom and my sister Wapani have had the best relationship ever. I, I would say it's perfect to some degree, you know, um, but Without us individually doing that work, my mom doing it from her perspective, Wapani doing it from her perspective, me doing it from mine, and perhaps some of my other family members doing it from theirs, I've seen progressive change. 
Joy, joy, I've seen growth. I've seen transformation there. So I strongly suggest it. Ancestral work and divination, I, I, I swear by it. It's the foundation upon which I build this house. It is the foundation upon which I build this ministry. The ancestors prove it all. If you're confused about, you know, ATR and, and traditional indigenous practice and, and acknowledgement, just acknowledge your ancestors. They settle it. Ain't, ain't no need for discussion. Because they're already present. They're already right there with you. So they step in, even when we aren't conscious, even when we aren't aware, even when we're in denial. Uh, come on in. Did you want to say something? Who do you call this? Yeah. Uh, um, I wanted to go to now, uh, basically, on the Internet, it, it's tragic. Uh, We're not hearing you. Want to skip past. Oh, hold on. Yeah, oh. I'm going to need you to speak up. Yes, you can hear me now. Yeah, that's much better. Okay, uh, basically on the internet. Okay, this process I've been going with, through with you, and um, you teaching me, and I'm doing ancestor uh, work and divination, and uh, giving my offerings to a roommate, you know, every day. It's the room. See, now I see what you mean when it say you got to do the work. Because as you're doing the work, these forces communicate with you and show you different things. It's almost, you know, as if you're going back to see how the universe was created. So you got these people on the Internet that basically want to skip this whole process and tell you that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Oshun. I got, I got Oshun. And um, I, 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 I always tell them, uh, did you do any ancestor work? Like any, like any, any ancestor work. And mm-hmm. do you know what Oshun even means? You know, are you making offerings to your ancestors before you, you <laughs> talk about you crown Oshun and never been to no uh, priest or gotta read or anything. Why do these people want to be Oshun so bad? Because we have painted Oshun and the Orisha that we are familiar with. Because let's be clear, it's, it's over 401. But the, the seven, the nine, the dozen that we are familiar with have been wrapped in Western ideology. Western sense of, of what's beautiful, a Western sense of what's attractive. And so we focus in on love and honey and sweetness, you know, and, and sex and, and, and prosperity. And we don't understand the challenges that come with each Orisha. There's often a human component to some of these Orisha, like in Oshun. That's not talked about. That's not delved into. If you aren't exposed to Pataki, if you aren't exposed to Oriki, prayers, chants, if you will, raps, if you will, about the Orisha, 
in the indigenous language with translation, then you don't know that there's a dark side. And I don't mean that negatively. You don't know, realize that there's a dark side. I mean that energetically to these deities. Some of these deities don't talk. Some of these deities exist in silence. Some of these deities only speak through another deity, like, like Olokun has no tongue. And so it suggests that Olokun only speaks through Yimaya. Ogu is said to grunt and, and, and carry on like a wild man and speaks through Oshosi or speaks through Eshu. But in Haitian voodoo, Ogu talks, talk like a, a man, talk like a warrior, talk like a military leader. Talk like a, a government official. So we don't acknowledge that human element in the work. We're not, I was thinking about this earlier today. How do you teach the message that, you know, it's not about seeking perfe- perfection per se, but balance, but balance, and, and, and then walking in your truth at any at any given moment in your journey. And so without your ancestors, which I describe as your blood, the ancestral memory that exists in your blood, and without your head, what can an Orisha do for you? What can a Loa do for you? What can a demon, a jinn, an angel do for you if your head doesn't allow it? And in the Western concept, we're we're able to somehow digest uh, independence and free thinking and free world will, but within the context of the Orisha romance, you know, all of that goes out the window for some reason. I also think that we try and bring logic to spirit. I saw Iyana Van Zant post something similar to this uh, yesterday in, in Twitter, uh, but the idea that we somehow want to make rational and logical. And reasonable that which is spirit. And there's aspects to spirit and spirit realm that don't make sense. That there can't be, you know, compartmentalized into sort of this lower, simplistic, basic way of sort of viewing things. So I can't explain it other than, you know, Western sensibilities. I can't explain it. Oshun is the most difficult Orisha to work with. Oshun is the most needy Arisha, for lack of a better word, in terms of what you might have to do, what you might have to produce, what you might have to perform. Um, she is the work. She is the work, if you will. She is the work. And so behind Oshun and all of her gold and wealth and, 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 and lusciousness, is a great deal of cleansing and purifying and regaining balance and regaining a sense of control, regaining a sense of modesty, regaining a, a, a sense of, of civility that, that may not necessarily be present in the moment when dealing with an Ogu, for instance. Um, she requires balance. Uh, so I can't I can't speak to it, uh, and, and I'm listen. I'm gonna admit right now live on camera, um, it's a conflict for me, because on the one hand, you know, in this audience in particular, we want to know, we want to talk about, we want to discuss, 
We want to share. We want to debate a little bit. But then when I look at other platforms, you know, it's all being shot down. It's all being debated down while a new generation of people, and I don't mean age, I just mean a new generation of people have decided, well, we're just going to do what we want to do. We're just going to do what we want to do, and it's all—it's almost like the hippie era from the '60s and the free love, no rules. We're just going to do what we want to do, and then those hippies grew up. Those hippies became 30, 40, and then became guppies and yuppies and buppies, you know, which is is a word we used to use a lot in the '70s, '80s, and '90s. I haven't heard that in a while, you know. And so now it's all about I'm just going to do my own thing and I'm going to create my own rules, you know. Um, who do occultism? Let me say this too. Uh, another advertisement for Toni Morrison and the Black Book. If you all have not checked out the Black Book, you absolutely have to. This book was first published um, in 1974. And I want to say it was published by the New York Times, but don't quote me on that. But it was a compilation of about all things black that you can imagine, from the time of enslavement up until, the, you know, the mid-1970s. There's some powerful stuff in this book. Uh, it jogs your memory. It, it teaches you things you didn't know. It reminds you of things that you, you forgot. One of the things that I like about the book, uh, without giving too much of it away, is the book confirms a lot of what I say in this space. I will say that. <laughs> that is in the book. Okay? <laughs> the book confirms a lot of what I say about how it went down, how it came to be, why, why it is what it is, and it gives you news clippings, documents, certificates, Advertisement, you know, it, it gives you the, the art, like a, it's a scrapbook. It, it gives you a scrapbook of a footprint of what we talk about in this room is in this book. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Tony Moore. I said it's in this book. It, it's a whole lot of it, too. It's in this book. And I'm surprised because the book has been out since the seven, 1974, it, it has been available. But you can't readily Google it. You can't readily search it unless you use certain words. Like right now, you almost have to use Toni Morris's name in conjunction with the Black Book in order to get it to come up at all. Uh, it's real hard to put 1974, the Black Book, and get it to come up that way. You get a whole bunch of other stuff, including Ford. You get a whole bunch of other craziness. But this is a very powerful book. Yeah, Dr. Greg Carr was just talking about that one. Um, what was it? Yesterday, yesterday he was having a discussion, and um, that was one of the books that actually came up. Um, that, and um, I'd like to add that uh, just as important as it it is to remember our traditions and our elders and how things were being taught, and not just you know kind of describing it on the internet and whatnot. These mm -hmm. traditions carry weight. But be careful of who is teaching you this uh, this stuff, only to point out the fact that Disney has a lot of investment into the African culture and putting it right in front of our faces 
And we're taking it in and soaking it all up, but not questioning where they got it from or how they got it. More importantly, how they got this information. We watch Marvel and think of these people as superheroes, but we're not looking at them like, oh, these are these are archetypes for our ancestors, right? Or you watch uh, Moana is one of my favorite ones. Moana talks about um, oh, what is it? Uh, all these different uh, deities and whatnot. Maui is the storyteller. He's the trickster. That sounds awful familiar, right? Mm-hmm. You know. And then um, the 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 mother goddess is also the evil one that they are afraid of. But you don't find that out until the end of the movie. And I'm like, there's that dark side mm-hmm. that they don't teach you about. It's also right? that threat. It's also that threat of the mother, of the great mother. Yes. You know, understanding that we came from a maternal world. God was maternal, you know, 10,000 years ago. 15,000 years ago, God was a, a mother on the earth. And at some point, many cultures, the Zulu, the Asians, many cultures, Describe a point where that was stolen, taken away from humanity, and then we were forced into this sort of male-dominated, god-like perspective. And it. Yeah, I, I like women too much to. to I mean, these these <laughs> so male. Uh, they just kind of threw it in there, and now we have to accept it. The 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 father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. But what about the mother? <laughs> we you can't. Come here without first coming through a woman. How does that? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, and and why is she not included in the equation, particularly in in the average black church perspective? Now the Catholics, you know, might see it a little differently. You got the Mother of Christ, and you have mother-like energies, saints represented, but that's not common. It's often, like you said, very mm-hmm. male structured. So there's this this constant sort of undoing and rewriting and trying to prevent the past from resurrecting itself, trying to prevent the truth from somehow coming out. Um, right. I, I think it's hilarious that um, we have this uh, these catchphrases being used today, this uh, toxic masculinity. But you don't see the toxic masculinity in your book, right? <laughs> Just drawing pictures here. I think, I think that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, teach that to me, but but here you are with, with that. Well, well, the, well, the Bible teaches toxic femininity. The, right. Bi- the Bible actually calls effeminacy wicked and evil. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That's what. That's why I bring it up. I mean, it's yep. hilarious the contradiction right in the face of the very people that are trying to tell you about the, the toxic masculinity. I'm like, oh, okay. And that's why I call <laughs> it. That's why I call it all witchcraft. That's why yeah. I call it witchcraft yeah. because it has to suspend not just your logic, but your spirit connection to a thing it has to be suspended. In order for some of these ideas, you know, to have taken root in our world and in our culture, and and today even, I don't think it has to do with sixty or fifty or even twenty. Um, you can still be beguiled. You can still be 
not not seeing things with clarity. You could still be not doing the necessary work for self understanding, for self understanding. Right. It was uh it was Nat Turner that read the Bible for himself and caused an uprising, a rebellion against his slave owners, whereas all the rest of the um, unfortunate uh, preachers were being told the Bible. So it's, it, it, it's a good point. You got to read, you got to study for yourself, because when you study for yourself, it changes things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on, y'all. Yeah. I'm starting to get hungry. I could end the show mm-hmm. and go eat right now. <laughs> Unless y'all got questions, <laughs> comments, or requests. The Goddess Initiative, beloved, I had I like no idea. Questions. I had no idea um, you were pregnant until now. So we appreciate you sharing that. Um, we send you love and support. I had no idea. Um, we appreciate you. Um, be careful, though, honey, because you <laughs> you growing that baby up listening to my voice. <laughs> I don't, that might not be a good thing. No, okay. Your child might... It might come out magical or artistic, you know, creative. I don't know. Um, It'll come out powerful. Yeah, I'll be careful with, with, with that. I don't know how long. I guess you've been listening the whole nine months to us. You, you just now really let me know, but that's a good thing. And we're happy. I like the family component to House of the Divine Prince. I, I really do. Um, it's, it's no longer just about the individual. I need a read. I need my relationship fixed. I need, you know, I'm seeing mother, father, children, grandparents, aunts and uncles sort of coming together around first and foremost ancestral acknowledgement. We got to be careful about worship because to the Christian mind, it sounds like some kind of death idolatry. But so let's say acknowledgement, acknowledgement. And, and allowing that ancestral intervention to be conscious in the family. When we sit around the table in Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's or whatever holidays are ahead of us now, and we share stories, we share tales, we talk about grandma, grandpa, we talk about the past, but also be willing to do that work, be willing to hear because we often don't hear. We're quick to want to talk. We're quick to want to be heard. We're already thinking of our answer when we should be listening to what's being said. You know, increase our ability to hear. Increase our ability to be to hear. Even in what I do every day, I, I have to pay attention to what I'm saying, how well I'm hearing, but also how well you hear me. It's interesting how some things come back to me. I had somebody tell me yesterday that I, I said something that there's just no way I could have said it. <laughs> there's no way I could have said it. You know, but but she swore I had to have said it because that's how she put it down. I said, well, well, you heard one thing, but I don't teach it that way. I teach it in a very specific order, and so there's no way I said that out of order. You know, and for those who understand, I I'm talking about the, the four-day calendar. This is, so you know there's no way I can teach that without counting one, two, three, four, 
and, and very specific deities with that. And she had it all out of order. Even some of the lesser spirits that we acknowledge behind Osei Shango, for instance. She called that out before she called out the name. So we hear based on where we are. We hear based on our understanding. We hear based on our, our ability and our willingness to want to understand. We would like to think that our kids listen to us clearly. We would like to think that our spouses hear us clearly. We would like to think that our lovers and our loved ones hear us clearly. And often we're talking at the same time. I've been to the family reunion. I've been to the repast. We shout in the top of our voice. You know, some of us have had a little cocktail or two, you know. And so we have to really apply hearing. And particularly when we're trying to now digest an indigenous practice, indigenous tradition, and, and, and bring it into a modern world, and bring it into a westernized world with all of our technology, our, our ability to hear. We've been taught to pray, to ask, to beg, to placate, to chant. We, we've been taught to hear and, and to really listen for clarity, not to match what I believe, but to hear so that you really understand what's being said and why it's being said and why it's being expressed. I appreciate you all. I do. I feel like I've lost. Okay, here we go. Where I am in my chat. Okay, I don't have anyone on the phone lines. 845-277-9143, If you have a question, comment, or request, press the number one on your telephone keypad. I'll be more than happy to um, to open your mic. Thank you, Hoodoo Occultism. Um, I really am hungry, and so I am going to move forward. I appreciate you, um, Neophyte Bokur, for always coming in. And being so willing to um, co-host from the screen, I appreciate, I appreciate being here. Oh, it's always a learning environment. And I appreciate all of you who co-host from the chat. Uh, I appreciate that. Joseph, I don't think I've seen your name before. Greetings, beloved. Thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah, I've never seen your last name before, for sure. I'm not even sure how to pronounce that. Cromarty? Where is that from? Like the Caribbean? That's very interesting. Greetings, Regina. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for all of the birthday wishes. I, I certainly do appreciate it. Thank you, Mark, Mark Anthony Hawkins, for being present. Um, I don't know anyone in the Baton Rouge area specifically. Um, we all travel, of course, back and forth between Baton Rouge and, and New Orleans. But I can't say I um, I know specific practitioners in Baton Rouge. Now, in terms of getting, you know, connected with your ancestors, I invite you to send me an email, Anthony at Divine Prince, Divine Prince, D-I-V-I-N-E-P-R-I-N-C-E, at houseofthedivineprince.com 
And I'll be more than happy to, to walk you into that. Ancestral worship, honor, acknowledgement, prayers, divination, feeding, serving your ancestors. Yeah, I'll be more than happy to assist you. Thank you kindly. All is truly and indeed a blessing. I am grateful for all of you for showing up with me at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time from wherever you are, and I invite you to join me here again next time, remembering that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veil, I shall.
I want Rasta forever, but you're an African. The devil said Rasta, I'm on a forever cruise. I tell Rasta, it's my thing. Rasta for right. Can I marry? Can I marry? Can I marry? Throw me in the church. Throw me in the church. Throw me in the church. You never solve the problem. Throw me in the church. Throw me in the church. Throw me in the church. You never solve the problem. Throw me in the church. Throw me in the church. Throw me in the church. You never solve the problem. Throw me in the church. Throw me in the church, throw me in the church, you never stop the problem. I see sometimes Jaja worshiping, we think passing the church room every day is the worshiping. But what your ass on Africa, me I tell you that it's not how we worship Jaja. But whenever we love each other, do the right thing, stop our concern, abortion, and yamma yamma things. Just keep on doing the right, you got to see Jaja bless you, flowing like water. So Jaja worshiping, just keep on living, but sometimes we think that. Throw me in the church is the matter So Rasta must see my people rise up If we will say we are Christian Let's speak up And love each other Do the right thing Everything gonna be the right man People Now watch your Rasta Jin on it You know me man You came out Jam you Chap is all it You mean Kutu So what you know And you mean Kupi no need Don't wanna come out Jam you Mamba Oh no See you Vini Jin Number Dalian Kiss So what Ba no Fe no Kunga So all it You mean Kubu Kanja Jim on Jam Kuba Jam Mamba You get down Come and get me, me. Kabu kanja di moja me still on ganu na ye. The rasta came in in your name, moja me on the no me ne buy. Wason wanye me me no yache di me waye bo. I me kone no fe no kone he ne moja chowo. I ne me kone moja kone be no kone le jai no li kaku fe no koko oni mi wa kwa sanya kete moja jolu. Lord Johni chake ni suba ni wa fe no fe no kone he ne moja chowo. Sasu rumi de church, rumi de church, rumi de church. You never solve the problem. Roaming in the church, and roaming in the church, and roaming in the church. You never solve the problem. Some of people, if you you say you are Christian, just show some love to Mr. Poor Man. If you say you are Christian, my brother, I say stop abusing cocoa and the damn things, and show love to human beings. That is what Jaja wants. So everything gonna be alright for our people. Love to peace, only to me, go to me, and you mean the rest of me, you know. Thank you.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.